I think that one of the single biggest challenges for investors is understanding that dividends do not matter. Dividends do not matter. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully that little intro there gives you an idea of the type of criticisms that I'm going to be responding to in this video. Now, having said that, I don't plan on this being some kind of hard hitting going point by point with other YouTubers or the other people's criticisms of dividend growth investing. I think it's good to expose yourself to a variety of different styles of investing and find what style fits with you best. This happens every time you start investing in general. What happens, at least in my case, is you go through and you kind of scour the internet, you look at different ideas and you see who you align with best, who you believe the, the type of reasons that they're investing, their methodology behind it, their thought process behind it matches with what you're doing, what, what your thought process is. And that's the type of investing that you choose to follow, generally speaking. For a lot of people, that's different things. For instance, meet Kevin over here. This is a YouTuber and he is all about real estate investing. And he has a video here saying why stocks and index funds are bad. And, you know, he goes on about how he owns a Tesla car and he thought it's a great car. So he bought Tesla stock. And then this happens. Well, after I got back from San Diego, I posted a thing on Instagram going, hey, buy some Tesla stock and showed that I bought another $10,000 of Tesla shares. Ha! <laughs> Well, that was in addition to the somewhere between twenty and $30,000 I had already invested into Tesla, just again as reserves and because, well, I thought it was a good idea. Well, unfortunately, that stock's been nothing but plummeting ever since. And the reason I am bringing this topic up is because when I look at that house, I know it's worth $600. When so yeah, he goes through and he explains that, you know, he likes a car, he buys a stock, and the, the stock dropped and he told other people that he bought it and everything. And he just is more comfortable with real estate. But meet Kevin is a real estate investor. That's what he knows. That's what he studied. And that's what he's highly successful doing. And so he has carved out his groove of what's making him money. Now, if I go in and I do a video and I say, well, you know, Kevin, you're, you work, you're doing this. You could just be investing in the stock market, making passive income. And over a 50-year period, it's returned a little bit higher percentage and yada, yada, yada. Does that really mean a lot to him? He's found a way that he's being successful. He's making a lot of money with the way that he's being successful. Me going in and trying to tear down the way that he's making money, that he's being successful, I think is just straight up counterproductive. I, I, don't, I don't think it helps anybody out in this situation. And this goes, I mean, this happens all the time. We have another one here where uh, uh, Kenny is telling me, Kevin, you know, he does a video on mobile homes and Kenny knows more about mobile homes. He's a mobile home investor and Kevin hasn't been a mobile home investor. And so uh, Kenny's correcting him on all these different things and so on and so forth. Anyway, this type of thing happens all the time. And it, it's the same type of thing that you'll see as soon as you start investing in a dividend growth portfolio or any style of investing. If you pick small cap growth stock, if you pick large cap stocks, if you pick index funds, if you pick individual stocks, no matter what you do, there is going to be a group of people that do not agree with your investment style. Those group of people are going to believe that your investment style is inferior and they're going to have their arguments and their logic to back it up. Now, the issue with all of this is, is I think that getting all this different contradicting information blasted at you whenever you go online uh, can cause a lot of confusion and doubt and, and make you have more anxiety when you're trying to figure out what you want to do, what path you want to follow with your investments. I actually just got an email just last week. I'll read it. I'll put it up on the screen. Here's like one paragraph of it. It's from a, it's from a kid named Pedro. He's in his early 20s. He says, 
I have wanted to start investing for some time now. I feel like I'm young and at the point to start. I've been learning a lot and gathering info for a while. And what I'm interested in is what you show in your content, a long-term growth investment. There's a world of info out there, and often I felt lost and unsure. It can be confusing and contradicting. Lately, I've been feeling more confident and finding sources that seem to be more reasonable, like yours. YouTube algorithm can be great sometimes. I really want to grow my wealth for a better future for me and my life I want to build. So right there in the middle of that paragraph, he says it can be confusing and contradicting, and it absolutely can. In exploring this topic, a week ago, I posted on my community tab here. This is on my YouTube community page. If you subscribe to the channel, you'll see this pop up in your feed. Um, but I posted the uh, the post. It says, what are the top criticisms you hear of dividend growth investing? And I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them. I think like over 60 different comments and everybody laid out different things that they hear because as soon as you enter into this style of investing i mean it takes five minutes until you start hearing criticisms about it now the number one and this is part of the reason that i responded to it was that dividends don't matter and aside from being wrong and i'm going to go into that later i just don't think it's a good thing to do to criticize other investment strategies in fact i have i mean if i go to my video history I have a handful of videos, I don't know, like over 30, 35 or something like that, 32 now. Either way, it's hours of content, right? Specifically about investing in the stock market. And I'm a dividend investor that picks individual stocks. Not once in any of these videos have I ever said something disparaging or negative about index investing or different styles of investing. The only type of you know, scare quotes, investing that I've actively spoken out against is day trading because I don't think that's investing. I think that's gambling. That's the only type of thing that I've actively spoken out against. Something that I think is actively destructive to your wealth. Other styles of investing, whether you're joining me, Kevin, and you're doing real estate investing, whether you're doing what Ben's doing and you're doing index investing, all of them have their merits. All of them, you're going to make money over a good period of time with it. I've seen it with different instruments all over the place. And so I don't think it does much good to actively try to discourage people from doing the one that they prefer. Now, having said that, dividends don't matter. This is a popular belief. I'm not targeting one per person here. This is something that I mean is shared all over the place. If you've invested in dividends for five minutes, I've highlighted it before on Reddit, on different forums, you're going to have people tell you that it makes no difference. And the primary crux of their argument is this, the dividend irrelevance theory. This theory states, well, let me read the description. The dividend irrelevance theory is a theory that investors do not need to concern themselves with the company's dividend policy since they have the option to sell a portion of their portfolio equities if they want cash. So that's the crux of it, is that when a company pays a dividend, well, the company has less value on its books. Since the company has less value on its books, the company is less valuable. Um, and they believe it's less valuable to the equivalent amount of the dividend it paid. And on the surface, on a basic primitive math level, if you don't ever venture out behind all the implications that a dividend has, that makes perfect sense. If you stopped right there, just with the textbook math definition, this theory would be true. The issue is, is that there's a ton of other implications that happen when a company pays a dividend. And the dividend irrelevance theory doesn't account for those. It's similar to when you do quantitative research on a company, but no qualitative research on it. You don't look at anything that the company's doing qualitatively, stuff that you, a computer can't look at. As soon as you step out of the land of theory and you actually step into the land of reality and see what's happened in the past, what's happening 
currently and what real investors with lots of money are doing, dividends absolutely matter. Let me give you a couple examples of this. We do have some breaking news on Occidental's bid to buy Anna Dark, Berkshire Hathaway, committing to invest $10 billion in Occidental. This is contingent on Oxy going ahead and buying Anna Darko. Here's the terms of the deal. 100,000 shares of perpetual preferred, st preferred stock. That preferred stock comes with an 8% annual dividend. Nice. Also, the warrant... Why did they just say nice? Why were they celebrating when he said that he gets an 8% dividend. Let's go ahead and listen to that again one more time. Comes with an 8% annual dividend. Nice. Mm. I mean, these the anchors obviously believe that, but they're just CNBC anchors, right? They don't know anything. Um, people that, you know, the math checks out. They're obviously celebrating for no reason whatsoever. But another question, Warren Buffett's no dummy. He's not a CNBC anchor. Why did he negotiate an 8% dividend yield? If dividends don't matter, if they're irrelevant, if the company can just return value by Warren Buffett selling his shares, or if they can do share buybacks, then why does the dividend yield matter? Why did Warren Buffett negotiate an 8% dividend yield for his preferred shares over the 6% that everybody else was getting? Let's look at a couple other examples. We have Bank of America here. Buffett had bought $5 billion of Bank of America's preferred stock with a 6% dividend or 300 million annually. Again, Warren Buffett negotiated a higher dividend yield than the common shareholder by over 2%. Why would Warren Buffett specifically negotiate a higher dividend yield if dividends didn't matter? Let's go and look at another example. This one is of GE. Berkshire also bought a $3 billion preferred GE stock at a monstrous 10% dividend yield. 10%. Why? What is he doing here? He sh I mean, we got to write Warren Buffett and let him know that dividends don't matter. The yield doesn't matter. Why did he negotiate a 10% dividend yield when dividends don't matter? According to this theory, it's totally irrelevant. Investors shouldn't even concern themselves with it because if Warren Buffett wanted to get the value of it, all he needs to do is sell. So why, after example, after example, after example, does Warren Buffett, at every opportunity he can, negotiate a higher dividend yield for himself compared to the common shareholder? And he does it to the extent that he can. 10% dividend yield, far more than what the common shareholder is getting at that point. Let's look at another example. Berkshire Hathaway to invest $5 billion in Goldman Sachs. Well, let's look down here. The preferred stock has a dividend of 10% and is callable at any time. Again, a monstrous 10% dividend on Goldman Sachs. So ask yourself this question. Is this the actions of somebody that treats dividends like they do not matter? Like they should not be factored in to any decisions that you make? To me, the answer is obvious. Dividends obviously matter as a factor in a decision. They're not the only factor. There needs to be a lot of other things factored into decisions, but they should be in the consideration. Now, besides real-life practical examples of people doing this, you can also look at historical examples of performance. Here's a video of a Financial Times author exploring the theory that dividends don't matter. Hello, and welcome back to The Note. Today, I'd like to take a look at the theory that dividends don't matter. However, even if the theory is very clear that at least in one sense, dividends shouldn't matter, in practice, it's obvious that they do. What we're looking at here is uh, the result of uh, a research looking at UK stocks going back to 1900 by London Business School. We've, we'll take a look first at how low yielding stocks did, then we'll take a look at how uh, the average for the index did, and now finally we'll take a look at how high yielding stocks performed. So you can see plainly that over history 
uh, investors very much rewarded, very much did benefit from companies paying a higher dividend yield. This data, along with a lot of other evidence you're going to see, shows that dividends do impact investments. They do matter, and it should be something to be considered. Like I've pointed out many times, there's a study from Chicago-based Green Rock Research that it points out, like many other studies do, that the top dividend-paying companies outperform the general market. Over long periods of time, this is 60 years of outperformance, and that's just one study. There's another one from Merrill Lynch, reputable bank, that points out just in the past 10 years that the dividend aristocrats have outperformed the S&P 500 by a couple percentage points, and they've done so with less volatility. Now, I can even go on beyond these. I mean, there's, there's more. Let's take a look at some graphs. Here's the historical performance of the Canadian dividend aristocrats compared to the, their composite benchmark. You can see that there's outperformance there in the last 10 years. Here's the historical performance of the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, again, from to the S&P 500. You can see the actual graph there. Here's a breakdown of the return of the S&P 500 index by dividend policy. If you were to invest $100 in each of these, the dividend growers and initiators and the dividend payers perform much better than their benchmark of equally weighted S&P 500 or other companies. There is a host of data to show that dividends perform really well. Now, there's always a rebuttal to this, and for this one, it's that these companies that pay dividends, they're not performing better because of the dividend. They all just seem to have common factors, and those other factors are why they're performing well, not because of the dividend, right? It's kind of interesting. There's always, whenever you bring up these, there's always a reason behind everything. It's almost like people that are against dividend investing, it's like they can't stand the idea of there being any positive benefit to a company having a long-standing, well-thought-out dividend policy. What I wanted to do was actually go and draw out some characteristics in dividend-paying companies that is outside the basic math. Things that you can't just look at the math and say, oh, well, they paid a dividend, they lost some value, so everything's net same. These are characteristics that change companies in ways that I think are positive that are only tied to dividends. They're not tied to share buybacks or any other way of returning capital. So one of them. Expectations. When a company starts paying a dividend, all of a sudden it has a list of, of implications and expectations from it. One of them is that that company will continue to pay dividends. Share buybacks, there's no expectation of continuing to, to buy back shares. Uh, a company can buy back shares one year, then the next year they don't. There's no expectation for them to. So with, with dividends, you have an expectation that when a company starts paying a dividend, it's going to continue paying at the same rate that it is. And not only that, that it will likely increase the amount that it's paying year over year. This is implicit expectations in every company that pays a dividend. This is totally different than share buybacks that are willy-nilly can happen anytime. And with that come a lot of other factors. One of them, one of those factors being accountability. When a company knows that it has expectations to pay dividends and to continually increase those dividends, it has accountability. It's actually accountable to its shareholders. It knows that if a company slashes its dividend, its market cap will be severely punished as a consequence. This does not happen with share buybacks. Again, a company can do share buybacks one year, the next year it doesn't do them, that's fine. There's no expectations with it. The company won't be punished. There's no accountability for it. With dividends, there are expectations. With those expectations, there is accountability. The shareholders of dividend-paying companies, many of them hold them because of that dividend, and they know if they fail to pay that dividend, they will sell their shares, resulting in substantial value loss in that company. And that's a factor that I like. With that accountability, you have to have cash flow focus. 
for instance, if a company is paying a dividend, it knows that it's going to have to be paying out a certain amount of money every single quarter, year over year. And because the company and the leaders of the company know that it has to do that, I believe it forces them to think differently than companies that do not pay dividends. For instance, a company that does not have to pay a dividend might take more risky ventures, might might invest their money in things that are fruitless and don't turn out as well. A company that's focused on dividends, I believe will be much more cash flow oriented and will stick to tried and true paths that will make money, that will generate cash flow year over year because they know the last thing they want to do is cut their dividend. They do that very reluctantly. So these are things that you cannot just throw into a math equation and say that it's a net zero gain, that dividends don't mean anything because it lowers the value of the company a little bit. The expectations that it puts on the company to continue increasing dividends does not exist with returning any capital any other way. The accountability to the leadership of the company and to the company itself, knowing they're going to be severely punished if they don't pay their dividend, if they have to cut or slash it. The focus of the company, knowing that they have to pay a dividend, forces them to make decisions differently than growth companies that do not have to pay a dividend, that they can rack up tons of debt, that they don't need to focus on cash flow, but they can just focus on massive expansion growth, right? I like companies that focus on cash flow and profitability. I think the history shows that they give better returns over a long time. So I like this focus on cash flow. Other things that are benefits of dividends that I'll also list out. Now, the fourth thing, and this might actually be the most important, is mindset. The mindset of a dividend growth investor is different than most other styles of investing because a dividend growth investor is focused on the dividend, where most people are focused on the capital gains, just how much their company went up in value. Uh, And while capital gains are set externally by others investors buying those companies and the share price goes up when there's lots of buyers, the share price is depressed when there's lots of sellers, Dividends are not set externally. It doesn't matter what the share price is. Companies pay dividends out. They have the cash flow to pay them. So I believe the mindset of a dividend investor, focusing on the actual thing that the company controls, is a better mindset to have and will lead to better results over time. That's what I do is I focus on my monthly dividends. I actually have a graph that tracks this. You can see in January and February when I first started the strategy, I received zero dividends for two months. And then a little bit at a time, it started to increase where now the last month, June 2019, I received $143 in dividends. When I look at this graph and I just see my income continually rising over and over again, I'm getting paid more and more every single month. I mean, what the value is of my current portfolio, whether it went up $1,000 today or down $1,000, really isn't as important to me as how much money I'm being paid month over month. Like I've said a million times, I focus on this line right here, the earned dividends, the market gains. I see this go up and down every day. Every week it goes up and down. I think over the long run, it'll if my portfolio is, is continually earning money, the market gains will follow. But this isn't what I use as the indicator of how I'm doing. How I, what I use as the indicator of how well I'm doing is how much my income is. Now, having said all of this, I really like dividend growth investing. The mindset behind it, I think, is really good. I want to ultimately generate passive income. I want my passive income money 
that I make without having to go and actively trade my time for it. Dividend growth investing is the vehicle in the stock market that I've chosen to get me to this goal of passive income. If that's not your goal or there's different things that you want to focus on, then there's nothing wrong with that. Don't let people discourage you from doing the type of investing that you enjoy doing. And, you know, even little decisions within different styles of investing. Like if you don't like picking out individual companies, if you find that you're just always second guessing yourself and it causes anxiety, just do what I did for my Roth IRA and pick a bunch of ETFs then you don't have to worry about picking out stocks and you'll just see the money roll in. Same type of thing. So the main takeaway that I wanted to have in this video was don't worry too much about, you know, criticisms or getting anxiety about people telling you contradictory information. Really, you just need to find, like I've highlighted, you know, a lot of different investing styles and there's, there's different things people do to make money. You need to find out what works with your personality, what you enjoy doing. And if it's something that's proven track record that's profitable over a long period of time, you'll probably come out just fine with it. My dad made a lot of money with real estate. He did not make a lot of money within the stock market. That was a totally secondary thing that he didn't spend a lot of time to understand it or do it. On the contrary, there's lots of people that make a lot of wealth with the stock market. Some people do it with distressed debt. Some people do it with index funds. Some people do it with concentrated bets. I mean, there's tons of ways to make money. Don't get too lost and too into the weeds of every strategy and trying to find the most perfect optimal one. You'll just drive yourself crazy doing that. So anyway, I thought this would be an interesting video to go over, but I'm going to do another episode this weekend, and that one's going to be more traditional look at this portfolio going over the previous month. Uh, and I have some new graphs that I'm going to show you guys. Hopefully I'll have templates made so you can use them too that are like projections of income and, and different things I think will be really interesting. So you guys have an awesome week. I'll see you this weekend. Peace.